When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you're listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning to you, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. Fantastic to be here for the full show. Thank you for helping me out the last couple of weeks. It's been a bit ordinary in, in my life, but I think it's over now. So away Can you go. not try and die on me this week? No, I'll, uh, I'm good now. I'm good. I've got, um, like you said, electrification in the chest, and if I start shaking, I'm sorry. So <laughs> um, I'm taking the shine today, this morning. Well, not taking the shine. You're going to have a bit of shine on you if you get this question right, because I'm going with an irrelevant question. I've put it on the I've put it So on. starting the show off, we're not yeah. talking about fishing. And we're I'm, not talking I'm, about go fishing to Gamby. No. It's straight into some irrelevant question about yeah. something that you want answered. And to everyone that's listening right around the country right now, play along because this is a really, really good question. I'm going to mess with your heads. Now, oh, we'll get okay. to it. I can, I can make it a long question. Take the whole segment. All right. So you play you play AFL. I've got uh-huh. a couple. A couple of mates to play cricket. Now, if you play cricket, mm. you hit the ball, say, to go over the boundary on the full, say, Maxwell. He hits the ball, say, between to make to hit a six, say, 75 to 105 metres. Give or take, a few bigger, a few smaller. Mm. That's on average. So, 100, we'll go 100 metres. Just say 100 metre hit. You play AFL, you could probably kick the ball 60 metres, say, like a good kick, 60 metres. Well, I don't yep. know, you're getting, pretty old, you're getting pretty old now. Your strings are tight. But, um, 55. 55. So, you can kick a good 55, 60 metres. Yes. Now, next question is, Marvel Stadium. Mm. How tall is the roof at Marvel Stadium? Second part of the question, how tall is the goalpost on a standard AFL? Uh, standard AFL post, I'd say goalpost maybe 15 metres high. Okay, you going with that one for your first answer? Yep. Now, what's your? I reckon, man. This is not. This is not. Who wants to be a millionaire? No, I'll just. This is. This mess with my head bad, and I've only had one mate get it right. Go quickly. We're running out of time. The, the roof for Marvel Stadium. How high is it? Forty meters high. I'm so angry because you've got so close. It's thirty-eight meters. I'm so annoyed. You've actually done it. It's thirty-eight meters high. Like, it's blown me away. Like it's blown. It's actually blown me away. Like you hit a ball, a cricket ball, a hundred and five meters on an angle. You can kick the ball, but no one hits the roof. Very rarely. Can you can you please explain to me why the hell we're talking about oh. a roofed stadium <laughs> on a fishing and outdoor show to start off the morning? Football's outdoors unless you're in Marvel Stadium, and it's um, <laughs> I just blew my head away. I, I estimated eighty meters. Like, I was <laughs> – Sammy Goodwin, a good friend of the show, he, he was the closest to it. Gary Rowan guessed 100 metres. 
<laughs> to everyone listening, uh, apologies for the start of the show this morning. Uh, Aaron has been unwell. He's had a pacemaker implanted. If you agree with me, then it's to... <laughs> he's, he's had a pacemaker uh, inserted into his chest and quite clearly they put it in the wrong spot and it's replaced his brain. Uh, Go Fish Nagambi, Redmond, we spoke yep. about it uh, a few weeks back. We were chatting to Paul Worsling. Uh, around Go Fish Nagambi. It's on at the moment as we speak this morning. Uh, entries had sold. It's a, this is a packed out event. Um, but there's been some great captures, some really nice yellow be- belly being caught. There's obviously been some some cracking uh, Murray Cod. And something that always sort of uh, gets you and I excited is the, the carp that are being caught, Redmond. <laughs> Yes, I'm actually in the cup section on the on the phone. There's thousand dollar anaconda prize packs one daily for catching a carp in carp o'clock. So they're nominated now. They nominated now or if you get a carp in that time. You can uh, there's junior carp competitions. There's have you o- have you ever caught a carp? Oh, plenty. I like used to go down to the local. What well, was a kid used to go down to the McLeod's waterhole all the yep. time catching. Carp. What did you? We used to use. We'd go down uh, Lake Motawari. Things were freaking play-like, and we'd use single pieces of corn, yeah, exactly. and they would go nuts on them. And the thing is, I was – you know how you meant to kill them? Now, Hope Fisheries aren't listening to this because I used to release them so we could catch them again because I felt like if you could kill them when I was a kid. I'm only young. That's the to- irony on that. You, you, you'll, you'll kill 40 King George Whiting, some beautiful southern bluefin tuna, and you'll release carp back into it's the waterway. Stuck in a little, little hole. <laughs> but anyway, going back. Have you to, ever eaten them? No, I'm lucky to eat whiting, Patrick. Come on, it's uh, chicken's only, only five bucks a kilo, mate. It's, <laughs> I haven't, I've never eaten, uh, I've never eaten carp overseas. I was actually talking to an English fellow in hospital, actually a nurse of mine, and over he's from overseas. We got talking about fishing and whatnot, and he reckons over there in in, in England, in England, like London area, they literally. That's where that's where uh, England from, is. Yes, yep. It's from good call. From London. Apologies, but he actually ate carp. So it was like they actually ate carp over there. So they're really desperate, and it does explain a lot. But there's a hundred, <laughs> there's hundred and fifty k cash guaranteed to be yep. won. At the we'll go-, go off this weekend, and it's an eighty grand cod. So a lucky angler who we will do our best to get on the show. We've done that every year, haven't we, Pat? We, we have. Yep. They run it. And we'll get the uh, lucky angler hopefully on the show and talk about the fish of the light. Well, what eight. would you do with eighty grand? I mean, that's that's three weeks worth of petrol. <laughs> What's that I, I went to fill up the other day. It cost me one hundred and forty. Oh, thank God you're filling up my big boat at the moment because I do not want to go near that. You have three hundred liter, fifty liter tank. It set me broke. But I was at the boat. I was at the during the week. I got snuck out for a session on the tuna, which we're going to talk about, which. I'm not sure many uh, pacemaker people people have had pacemakers fish five days after their pacemaker was put in, but I went for a tuna. No, and like I said, they have uh, they generally have the surgery on their chest and not their brain. But go on. Fair point. And I was literally filling up the, the boat and I went just with a couple of mates. Like, and I never take money off the boys. It's work for me. They have fun, but it's work for me. I never take money. And I'm filling it up. And my, my brother had used the boat, and I reckon there's only about 80 liters left in it. And it got to like 120 litres. The boys are offering me money. I'm going, I said no at the start two or three times. I'm like, please ask again. Please ask again. dollars <laughs> <laughs> later. <laughs> now, we've had, the, we've had the, the big boat out enough now. Has it changed your – Has it changed your view on 
twin outboards versus single propelled and and what if you could choose anything that you'd you'd go from single to twins because we often you and i will often debate sort of features on boats and i think many people can relate to just dreaming and talking about what makes a good boat a good boat twins versus singles i think you're a convert aren't you I've always, I've always been. I like my twins. For smaller boats, I've always liked singles. It's like the six meters, six fifty. You're sort of getting up there. Maybe I still you can get away with a single, but um, your boat definitely needs twins. Uh, but one thing that hundred percent has changed in my mind, and I'm going to have to have this discussion with Rob from North Bank. Is I've always thought, well, always said, your boat's too big. It's just too big. It's it's great yeah. shout of here and there, but let's just say that it's not too big, and it's starting to really get in my mind that I'm going to skip the 650 <laughs> straight to the 650 because uh, I'm getting pretty old now, Patrick. I'm an 80-year-old man with a pacemaker here. I'm, I'm starting to really push uh, push it on the water. So it, it just, it's just beautiful on the water to fish out of. And it, it's nice. It's not too wide. So it, it actually sits really well in tide. So I think that's is, the – that that 2.5-metre beam works yeah. well because, one, it's not oversized – but that extra length you get from a six and a half meter boat to a seven and a half meter boat makes a huge amount of difference, you know, when you're underway. About one meter. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does make. It, so to, to be honest with you, one meter on a boat is, feels like it's five. Like it's it does. Just, yeah. It's just, and oh, I love your boat. I think it's absolutely, you know, it's an absolute weapon. Not that you you can afford dinner at home anymore, but it's an absolute <laughs> weapon of a boat. It's it's a, it's an absolute cracker. And I, honestly, noodles every night are you know they that's still dinner. <laughs> noodles isn't too bad, but they. Uh, <laughs> well, if you go fishing in your boat, you can catch yourself some tuna. You're just gonna have to roll it out because you can't afford petrol. You can't afford to fill it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um no, I love your boat. I I don't think it's. I've always said too big. Six fifty is perfect for me. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm going to have to talk to Rob, and I'm going to have to skip the middle one. I, I really, really like your boat. It's yeah. Has has the uh, Optimus three hundred and sixty, or depending on sort of what model you go for, the joystick control that many different outboard manufacturers now have their own version of it. I've got Optimus three hundred and sixty on my seven hundred and fifty North Bank. It's brilliant around docking, isn't it? I mean, it's a, it's a it's a very expensive option just to have for the manoeuvring about around you know piers and docks and jetties and and boat ramps. But for those that don't use the boat a huge amount, Redmond, and they're big boats to manoeuvre, particularly under and around sort of areas where there's high wind, can it does get you out of a few different tricky spots? Oh, it did for us the other day. Like I wasn't a. Yeah. I had the loop recorder thing in my chest, so I couldn't really move my left arm well. So I was going to reverse out, and I would have had to have done a full spin on the dot and tried to swing out in this tight area. It's the only way I was going to get off the pier with the with the easterly wind, southeasterly wind. And I said to you, oh, show me how to use that. And it literally made you look really good. <laughs> does. The, the ability to crab walk literally, uh, you know, sideways is just extraordinary. Like, it's, And it's, it is, if I can use it, it's... Uh, foolproof. Well, I actually haven't used it yet because every time I do it, it doesn't work for me. I'm not pressing it on properly. Like I don't know what I do. I don't know what I'm not selecting. I, I would. I didn't listen real well when I let you. I was actually filming on the phone when you were getting taught how to use it uh, for you, and I, I missed actually a lot of it myself. I was concentrating on the camera, so I need to do a lesson with uh, someone that's going to teach me how to. Not you, because I'm not letting you have the satisfaction. 
satisfaction of it. <laughs> but no, it's a it's a weapon of a thing. The school tuna right around the southern region of Australia, whether it's South Australia, Victor Harbour, through Victoria, bottom end of New South Wales, there's really good capture rates of school bluefin tuna. Best methods, what are you seeing that are providing the most consistent catches, Redmond? Uh, so you and I were out, what was it, Pat? So it was probably not, it wasn't this Saturday, it wasn't the one before. It was So say two weeks ago from today, you and I were out and it, uh, we had mutton birds, like lots of them. Now, down off Western Port side of Port Foot Bay, is, uh, sorry, sorry, Western Port side of uh, sort of towards Gippsland Way, all through Kilcunda and that, not quite Gippsland, but all through there, there's mutton birds down there. But where we fished, loads of fish. There's no birds on them. All those mutton birds that you and I had are gone. You're literally fishing blind. Like they're not yep. rippling, they're rippling a little bit, but not not much. And it's just sounding them up using your electronics. It's been the key for it. Uh, trawling's probably been that best method because you haven't been able to cast for them as such, Pat. Like you're not actually being able to uh, locate where the birds. You know how we watch them. We're always watching the mutton bird heads. We're watching where their direction they're going, and we're trying to get in front of those because the, the mutton birds are just behind the front of the school of fish, and they're getting the leftovers off the fish. So you want to be ahead of those. And so casting sort of gone out for us down off Bowen Heads. Uh, it could change any day. We're coming up to that moon on Tuesday. We'll start to see bait get pushed up, and it might change. Yep. Might get the bird life while the tide was running. They weren't. Yeah, it was. It was a weird scenario for me. It was definitely trawling. Uh, trawling this week, but it's uh, yeah, it's a fantastic fishery that we've got in like South Australia and and whatnot. Now, I've something that I've stayed out of, and I want to, and I plan to stay out of as much as possible. <laughs> You've made me do yes. this. You've gone out of my comfort zone because I, I just don't have, I just don't have the time in my brain to think about it lately. It's massive. Aaron, we're a fishing show. Yeah, massive. I know, but it, it it's it's politics, and I don't like getting involved in it. Kingfish discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a – look, Wayne's been an advocate for it. Uh, John Cahill, uh, David Boronoff, they've been a big advocate of uh, trying to promote, I guess, uh, the, the sustainability of kingfish getting reduced to two to two per person or maybe if you're – if if two per person or five per boat in, as such, as an example, they're sort of going along those lines. Now, I know the you – discussion around the sustainability of, yes. of the big kingfish, yeah. Because it's coming back strong. It is definitely coming back. But we want what Wayne is basically saying is he wants to get those twenty plus kilo New Zealand kingfish back here. So uh, I'm staying out of it. I'm not commenting. I've got no interest in it. I'm staying out of it. This is your depart. What are your thoughts on it, and where do you want to go with it? I really like the conversation around what's the difference between five and two. Really, if if two means about you three, can still, you can still brag to your mates. You can still get yourself a feed of fish. But the next time you go out, you've got a greater chance of catching fish that are really fickle and difficult to capture and target. I only see that as a good thing. It's like when you and I, when we go out and, and fish for tuna, we'll take one, maybe two, if they're small school fish. Because one, number one, you've got to you've got to fill up the things. There's blood everywhere, and that provides enough meat for as many as you really need to cater for. Now. Quite clearly, kingfish are a smaller fish than southern bluefin tuna, unless you're getting really big ones. But I, I don't see, um, I don't see a problem with it. I think a potential could be uh, the size 
limits and how they've how they've navigated Murray Cod. So you might go, you can keep a kingfish from sixty to ninety centimeters or sixty to a meter, but anything beyond that, you then have to return. So Great you're breeding fish, you're send them back out there. Well, I think from memory, it's about seventy-five to eighty-five centimeters is when they reach their maturity for spawning. So that's when they start spawning. So we're not really giving them a chance. They're sort of saying. But the other argument is yes, is the the incline on the kingfishery is out is increase like it, it is coming up. The, the numbers are getting better and better and better every year. So why touch something that's getting fixed every single year? It's getting better and better. We're not ruining it. It's getting better. And this is the other argument. I'm not saying absolutely. Why. No, it's it's a good point, but not everyone's experiencing that same level of success every time they go out and take. That, no, that was that was the next argument that I had. Was say there's only say a hundred boats are on the water today. There probably might be three to five people chasing kingfish. Let's and honest. they're such a difficult species to target to yeah. have success on, consistent success. And yet there are species that everyone wants to catch. So I think I think there's real merit in in changing the the regular regulations around reducing it to, to two or three, you know, yeah. I, I still think, or, or keep it at five, but it's five per, per boat rather than five per person. Um, yeah. I think the big fisheries do a wonderful job, um, but there's there's always areas that you can improve. It's one of those fish that get people excited. Well, the charter so, boat guys, just because we're going to have to wrap up the segment, but the charter boat guys argue as well, like these people are paying good money to come on their boat. They might fish once a year and they get their five kingfish and that'll feed them like that. that they'll stock up on their kingfish and that's like they get five and they're, they're super happy. Like it's – so it's also does it affect their, their – does it affect their work as well if they're only allowed to take two kingfish? Or if well, it's you one, know, you know, for the charter guys, you know what you'll get to do the next day? You'll, be, you'll get to target them the next day. Well, it's not – The it's next the, group of people. Well, but, yeah, that is true. But, yeah, like I said, I'm not either way. I'd stay out. I'd, I've got more things to worry about than kingfish at the minute. So I've, I've kept out of this one, Patrick, to be honest. I, I think there's I think there's real benefit to having a mature conversation around the sustainability of it. It doesn't mean everyone's a greenie. All it means is you want to preserve it. So every time you go out, you've got a decent chance of capturing a fish that we all love to target. So, so do we just let the science do the talking? Yeah, and I think there's also there's a captain's call that can be made in a situation like this. And the science might say five, but maybe we want more than that. What maybe we want the the fishery uh, improved at a, at a quicker rate of knots. So why not have that have that discussion and prompt that questioning? So I think it's something that we should look at. Um, once again, big fish do a wonderful job, but we can always improve. You know, the moment you sit on your hand and you say we're doing a great job is the moment that um, things can can catch up on you. Redmond, we've got a massive show of Real Adventures heading away this morning. Here's all our um, time already. <laughs> we have plenty more of the show coming up after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. Let's find out what's biting in your part of the country. We'll start off with New South Wales. And remember, Always wear a life jacket. Don't risk your life. Redmond, what do you have for us this morning? It's been some really good um, billfish being caught, Redmond. Some nice uh, marlin starting, across that eastern seaboard. Starting the southeast coast from Ulladulla down. It's starting, 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 which I won't lie to you. I reckon this year. We missed out a bit last year on the on the main bite. Well, we did. We only hooked the two fish and lost them. Uh, 
I head there obviously on the 25th of February, as we've spoken about in taking um, the big 750 up to Fermi, and we're going to travel up and down the coast to where we need to go to get the bite. But it's just starting to shape up really good. The current's doing starting to do its thing. It is very late. There hasn't been really a January bite. Yeah, hasn't been a February bite, a start of February bite. Sorry. So it'll be. It's going to be late. It could run into April. If, it, if it, the way it usually shapes up, it should still happen. It will happen. Shouldn't we be starting to see some really consistent catches? Like we just haven't. Yeah, we we just, haven't quite seen that. Just hasn't been the water, and I don't know if the cyclone and all that rubbish, that the tsunami and all that stuff, how much impact that's had, or is it just a year where it's going to be late, like the La Nina effect that we're having? Like you don't, I don't know, I don't, I, yeah, I generally don't know, but they're starting to show up. Good news is there's a few people getting fish out of Burmy, fishing in a little bit of tide too, and there's a few fish up higher as well. So it's starting to fire up, and like I said before, it's going to be perfect for when I when I get up there, I believe. So if you are wanting to get a marlin. I think it's a long weekend, roughly around that 25th to the 5th of uh, March, Pat. So if you do want to get up there and chase a fish, Burmese is a great place because it's not too far to travel out to the fish as a trailable. It's probably the best trailable area, uh, I guess, destination you can go to to chase marlin around the country because it's not that. It's only 12 miles, only not far offshore. So you can literally get there and start catching marlin. Uh, Maribor, some really good snapper too. Is that how you pronounce it, Pat? Maribor? Some good snapper to 60 centimetres. Caught on squid this week. So that's really exciting. Uh, I'm going to save the last one for you. I'm going to sneak one in here. But the Sydney Harbour is having some crazy rat kingfish action at the moment. Uh, on size, just on legal, just under a bit of mixed. Casting those small metals, just little metals into them on the surface, um, imitating just a small bit of bait has been working the best. Now, speaking of working the best, a place to stay well clear of is uh, – Take it away, actually. <laughs> well, the Parramatta River, our good mate and good friend of the show, um, McGlashan's been uh, been doing a bit of reconnaissance along the Parramatta, and it's safe to say that the health of that river system at the moment, Redmond, is is pretty crap. He had a fascinating story on his Instagram during the week where there's just dead fish lining all of the banks of the of the Parramatta, which is terrible to see because it's such a great fishery. Um, and he was talking about people questioning, you know, where's where can I start to, you know, if I catch a fish, can I eat it? And at the moment, that's a place that you just you wouldn't go near because the 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 fish they're just they're big fish, they're small fish, and they're all they're all washing up on the banks of the Parramatta. So it's it's not great to see. Let's be let's be frank. So um, it's one of those things that. It's great to go fishing, but we've got we've got to look after our waterways, and quite clearly, that's one that's quite polluted at the moment. Uh, we're going to head to South Australia now, and I'm going to ask you where he's fishing again. Is it Victor Harbour, uh, our friend of the show, Ned McHenry, Adelaide footballer? Yeah, he's been fishing off Victor Harbour, fishing a few k's off, and we uh, always got to remember, Redmond, if you are going to fish, uh, whether it's a few kilometres or a few hundred metres. Uh, to always be prepared, a life jacket can only save your life if you're wearing it um, and hugely important in, in any body of water. But Victor Harbour, where it starts to get some some swell, if you're South Australian, you know, as you sort of come up towards the city, um, you, you're a bit more protected. But down in that region of the world, you, you know, Waiponga, you're starting to get some swell moving up through there. So um, some really good size uh, school tuna being caught there, southern bluefins. Um, Port Hughes, really good well, calamari in, 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 in Ned's words, when they're on, they're on. on <laughs> when they're on, they're on. So he's obviously having trouble with some stunning fish as well as what we have been in the past. Mm. 
But just for your facts, when they're on, they're on, Pat. So if you do want to get yourself. Yeah, Point Hughes fishing really well for Calamari, as well as Whiting too. Some really thumping Whiting. Garfish, basically everything on the table. Table fish you, you, you could want to chase. It's, it's fishing really, really good. And once again, on my reports, it's saying the orange jig has been the best. Well, I'll go down there with a red one or a black one and try and have a little argument. <laughs> Your orange jig, if that's what's working best for you guys, I reckon if you actually get a similar jig, and get that full rate, Pat, working through that water column, you, you're going you're gonna to get yourself some squid on different colours. So don't get too sucked in as much by the colours. Get your full rate working through that water column, whether it's a size 3. If you hit a bit of tide, get up to 3.5. You're in shallow water with no tide, even a 2.5. So be smart when you are, when you are using uh, jigs in any sort of area or depth when chasing calamari. Western Australia. Redmond, uh, drone fishing in Perth Metro at the moment um, is seeing some huge snapper being caught, nearly to nine kilos. We're starting to see some really effective methods of fishing with a drone. Yeah, well, they're big fish, they're the nine kilos. I'm so glad you picked up on uh, my complete writing stuff up there because I was completely lost on the script. Then I put it in Queensland instead of WA. Apologies. <laughs> You've done well there. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a fantastic way to fish drone fishing. It's it's getting bigger and bigger. It's just like Paul Worsling, uh, host of iFish, he's done some tremendous stuff out of WA catching some massive fish. And you're just getting your baits out further. You get further, out. yeah. And especially if you're fishing during the day, because the fish will sit deeper. During the night, you get away with it of a hell of a lot more. But drone fishing right around the country not just Perth Metro itself, but right around the country is taking off. 90-mile beach down in Victoria there, they have literally drones sending, instead of paddling your baits out now for a shark, they used to paddle yeah. canoes or the kayaks or whatnot, paddle your bait out. Now it's legit. You drone, you drone your big bait out with wire trays, and that's how you get it out there. Seems like seems like something that I need to do because uh, pacemaker might fault if I try and paddle it out. But it's uh, it, it definitely is taken off. I know that you've got yourself a drone that does a bit of this, and you and I haven't done much of it. But I'd love to. I'd love to try it out. It's been interesting, even even fishing for for southern bluefin at different stages where boats actually send up uh, drones to check, try and find out where schools are, and then you see some at home video footage of drones collecting rods on their way back in and that's a pretty expensive mistake that different people make <laughs> at times but it's a great way to get a bird's eye view on you know locating these schools if you're me i make that much money that during the barrel season out of ocean grove there there was rumors going around the reason i was catching him is because i actually had a helicopter up each day <laughs> <laughs> i can promise you i can't afford a helicopter i'm not lying it's uh it's uh the old rumors got around there but basically they just give you a massive head start on the fish and not only that if you can get a drone they lock on these days pat you put mm. your drone on your spreader bar and watch you set it just above your spreader bar and watch the tuna come out and smash that and watch it back there's not much better footage it's incredible where are we Tasmania, Redmond. port sorrel some good kings being landed on squid this week and some huge snapper to six kilo also hanging around similar areas on those reefs and in good numbers um these names in tassie are no good shutton has been has been crazy this week good fin fish as well and if also you say it really quickly and then yeah, just get yeah. into your next ward <laughs> what exactly what I did. and the crayfish has been really good too so if you are a diver and you want a spear crayfish a spear crayfish sorry spear kingfish get in the water there as well as you can catch them on rod and reel but if once again if you're in the water you can also the crayfishing in tasmania is sensational and just while we're on tassie 
do you reckon? Do you reckon we could change rules and regulation now? I, I will be honest. Victoria comes across as the nanny state. Every state around the country, you're allowed to use pots to take crabs or crayfish. Victoria is the one state that we can't. If you don't dive, it's very hard to catch crayfish in hoop nets, like it is. Yeah, you're dealing with larger populations. Though. I mean, the beauty of Tassie is there's just there's not the same amount of people pressuring the the marine ecosystem. That's the but if you only make kicker. it's only two a day. And what about South Australia? Like they're all allowed to they're allowed to put pots in. Mm, yeah, like I understand it, but I think it should be like I think if you regulate it, one pot per person, and the I'm back- less. Uh, I suppose I'm less invested in this because I just don't do much of it. It's it's better, and we'd, look, we'd love to hear out. hear your comments. And anyone that's that's you know that's really invested in this this area of, of fishing, do you think it should be increased? Is it something that the the Vic government should look to do? I was watching um, fishing during the week, and this was a discussion on their show, and it was I thought it was a really good point that uh, yeah, one pot per person, and mate, keep the bag with the same two, but yeah, anyway, I think it's uh, something fisheries could change. Well, that's our wrap from around the country. And remember, always conduct a pre-check of your inflatable life jackets next time you're heading out fishing before you head out on the water. Make sure everything is regularly serviced, maintained, because the last thing you want, Redmond, if something does go wrong, is your inflatable life jacket not to be functioning the way that it's meant to. Uh, let's get to the social club, Redmond. And we've only got a couple of minutes here because we're, we're pushing sort of above our uh, allotted time. But one thing that I, I really liked with uh, with Kane's question, Red, when fishing for whiting, is it best to present your bait? How best to present your bait? And it's something we haven't spoken about for a while. And I think it's important that you follow this up because it's not just jamming all of your bait onto your hook and trying to hide it. There's a way to, to do this to actually imitate uh, something that, you know, is really going to entice whiting, particularly in Port Phillip Bay. Yeah, well, it's a lot of tidal areas around Port Phillip Bay and Western Port especially. And, and not only that, even in the ocean or if you're fishing in Cry Bay, like wherever you're fishing Kangaroo Island, if there's not much current, uh, it, it, this will still help you fishing. So with you, you want to make sure that you pin your bait as close to the end of a squid strip as possible. You don't want to weave it on or in and out and in and out of the squid strip because what it does, it curls the bait up and it actually acts as a helicopter's bloody <laughs> helicopter's just and, and just spins it, just keeps spinning around and around and around. So you want to put it on just once at the tip. If it's a rubbish fish, the bait will come back with teeth marks in it. If it's a whiting, it won't, and you miss it, it won't have any, it will not have any marks on it. And and, and most of the time you, you generally hook whiting. A lot of people go, oh, we had so many bites today, lost so much bait, but didn't only caught 10 whiting. Well, to be honest with you, they probably weren't whiting. If you're going to run a cocktail bait, run your pippy first, put it onto the hook and actually weave it on. But then even if you think the pippy is working better than the squid strip, make sure you still put the squid strip on because the squid strip, acts as a tail in the water and actually keeps it to basically aerodynamic. So it stops it from yep. stops it from spinning around. It actually acts as that tail. So you've got to get it right to the tip as as much as you possibly can. Now I've got the last question from Thomas just quickly here for you, Pat. Pat, you've got your boat in the dry stack at Queenscliff. 
Is it convenient or more of a hassle? It's brilliant. It's one of the best things that um, that I've certainly done. It's expensive. I mean, it depends on how you value it. If it means you use your boat more, then it's worth it, I feel. Um, it's very, very convenient. Call them up. They bring it down. And I think the dry stack is around four grand. The thing is there's waiting waiting requirements for it now. So it's very difficult to get in. But I think any time it makes it easier to access your boat and get out fishing, I'd promote it. And I've certainly found that with a Queenscliff dry stack, particularly with a boat that's seven and a half metres long. They're hard enough to trailer as it is. Uh, Redmond, that wraps the social club. Uh, plenty more real adventures after the break. We've got gearing up. We're tracking, chatting with Jake Broadhead from Geelong Marine World. We're going to chat Signature, Stacer and Ital Boats. Uh, plenty more coming up then. Gearing up for Dometic. Dometic Patrol, an icebox with a sense of adventure. Everything you need for adventures, big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. It's time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Director of Geelong Marine World, Jake Broadhead, joins us this morning. Good morning, Jake. Morning, Pat and guys. Thank you for having us on board. Now, Geelong Marine World, it is our hometown. Tell us about your business, how long it's been in existence for, and I suppose over the last sort of few years, what COVID has provided us with, or those in the Geelong region, um, a huge influx of new people wanting to live in the area and and quite clearly wanting to get into boating. Yeah, no, we've definitely seen uh, in the past two years, for example, with with COVID, obviously it's uh, hit hit everyone in different different ways. But in the marine industry, it's uh, it, it's been good for the industry um, with everyone not being able to travel overseas and be able to play in their own background uh, backyard. So side of things, it's been really good. Um, Geelong Marine World, we uh, established in 2015. Um, we saw there was a bit of a hole in the market in Geelong area, um, and it's it's really taken off since. Now, amongst other boats, one of the the boats that you stock are signature boats, a beautiful uh, Australian produced boat. Can you talk us through um, a few of the models that you fancy? Not necessarily the most or the best selling models, but what's one that you look at and go, well, this is just so well put together. Um, you know, it's one of your favourites within the stable. Yeah, look, I think within the range, obviously, they've got uh, little console boats and big consoles and then hard tops and everything. But the, the model that suits uh, my sort of lifestyle is the 620 BRX, which is a, a bow rider model. Um, bit of a, a good sort of crossover river, lake um, and sort of bay boat with being able to have all your nice sound system side of things and still be able to have eight people on board and, uh, have a bit of a day out in the water. Have you noticed, sorry, Aaron, have you noticed over the last few years that there seems to be a greater trend towards hardtop configuration? Because we, we we see just so many of them now. Does that sort of reflect in the sales that you're seeing within your yard? Yeah, no, look, it definitely is. Like the, the signature uh, boats, so we start at six six 6.4 metres with our hardtops up to 6.8 um and for example we've only probably got a couple of left uh for the rest of the year um which which normally at this time of 
the year we've, we're coming into ordering and everything, but the orders are really pushing out there because people are taking advantage and, and wanting to get out there and enjoy uh, our own backyard. Are you seeing the purchases of boats as a dealership? I guess, well, people purchasing bigger boats, that's the question. Are they, is, you're not getting those so much five, six metres. Are people going bigger or are you still selling the smaller boats uh, as well? Look, we, we sell a lot of boats, uh, a lot of people that are new to boating, so they'll sort of have an entry-level boat. Maybe it's a, a little tinny up to 4.5 metres that, that sort of uh, are looking to then jump into 5.5 to 6.8. Um, so we have a lot of clients and uh, that have two or three boats in with us already and we've been open for six years. So uh, the progression to bigger boats and, and especially hard tops, we don't have weather that's uh, like Queensland <laughs> all the time. So it's nice to be able to stay in there nice and dry and, and not have to worry about clears, etc. as well. It's one of the boats that fascinates me is the, the 788 SF signature. It's an incredible boat. Yeah, the flagship it, boat. It, and it's in, it's an amazing, an amazing looking boat. It's almost a, a scaled down version of what we see so often in the US, you know, with you know, tri- triple and quadruple outboard configuration, 40-foot centre consoles. Is it difficult, though, with, you know, the, the Victorian climate being just that little bit cooler? It, it seems like such a wonderful boat, but n- not necessarily, you know, purpose-built for those cooler southern southern climates. Yeah, look, it, it's it's a very diverse boat. Like you've got obviously your fully offshore side of fishing, but then you've also got your leisure side of things as well with that boat too. So it's a really good day boat. And we are seeing uh, the little sister boats, the 543s, uh, mm. and now the new 640 SF that's just been released last year. Um, we've had huge uptake in those. And uh, we've got a 788 local boat, and they've done, I think, 200 hours in about 12, 12 months. So... And that's with COVID. Now you mentioned the summer, and I'll be, I won't, I won't lie. I've been into Jake a little bit about this one, but it is a very, very good-looking boat. Uh, the Ital boats that you've now yeah. come before. You mentioned no summer. Uh, we don't have summer all the time, Jake. But this thing is an absolute weapon. Uh, I'm not sure. Are you selling them as we? Are you selling them as we speak, or you're just about to? Uh, look, we we took uh, the Victorian distributorship uh, about a month ago. Um, and we've only got a couple of little 340s here at the moment, but we've already got a couple on the board, and uh, we've sold our first 28 GT, and we've got our, our demo boat, which will be our own flagship boat, which is a, a 32-foot rigid inflatable boat with twin 325 Suzuki engines going on the back of it, which will be here in the next sort of two to three weeks. Now, Jake, these boats have been... Um you know, the company's been in, in existence for a, for a long period of time. When you look at something like this and go, all right, we're going to decide to stock this in Geelong, which isn't, let's be honest, always known for it, the, the beautiful weather that, um, you know, some of our northern states get, yet this is very much a performance boat. It is an open boat, but these are starting to get to really, you know, maxi trailable and in the 28-foot, the 30-foot GT, well in excess of trailable boats. Um, you know, what's the decision-making for you as a business to go, yep, we're going we're gonna to get into this market because we think the Australian consumers are going to head this way eventually? 
Yeah, look, it's a, it was a very long decision, um, not just on Itel Boats. We were looking at other brands as well uh, over the past sort of 12 to 24 months. It's uh, a day boat, and yes, weather's not on our side all the time, but they're an extremely good riding boat and a very dry mm. boat as well. So you don't cop the sprays of traditional boats, etc., even on windier days. Um, so they do deflect the water and you're able to sort of uh, enjoy the boat. Not only that, diving and spearfishing yeah. in Victoria has yeah, it's taken going off. insane. Yeah, and these are the ultimate boat for it. Like, in all honesty, they are. Not only that too, Jake, you've got a massive range of, I guess, uh, which you would have would have been part of your meeting, I'm, I'm tipping, is tourism with dolphins and seals and, and whatnot. They're the ultimate boat for it. There's probably not a better boat. So yeah, it'd be very exciting to see how it uh, how you go with that one because it, it looks like an absolute weapon. And how fast do they go with those engines? <laughs> They'd have to go 120k. Yeah, look, uh, speed is probably definitely on its uh, on its side, <laughs> especially with the twin 325 Suzuki's on the back. Um, but look, once once it gets down there, we'll have to get you guys down on board and and go out and uh, have a bit of a run in it. We wouldn't say no to that. Now, Jake, we often talk about big boats on this show because we both own larger craft, are passionate about it. But for many, boating starts at your 13, 14 foot uh, rig setups. And a big boat for some, you know, starts at your 15 foot, your four and a half metre. Uh, you stock Stacer boats. My first ever boat was a Stacer 414, 35 horsepower Johnson, I think, uh, on memory. Um, they're still such a an economical family boat that you can fit in a garage. And for those fishing Western Port or fishing Corio Bay, Port Phillip, um, you know, re- really comfortable for fishing those waterways. Yeah, no, they definitely are. Look, one of our most popular uh, Stacer models is the the 429 going up to the 481 Seamaster. Um, the 429 fits in any sort of smaller garage. Um, but, no, they're a really, really popular boat and and people love them. Has, has, the, has the change in outboards that we've seen over the last few years, we've obviously seen the transition from, from two-stroke to four-stroke, does the planning that you'll put in place as an organisation, as Geelong Marine World, for electrification, how how early do you start to, to think through that? Because we've seen it with the automotive industry. Is it something that you think will come to the marine industry quicker than what we, we currently believe? Because so often we hear the, the conversation around, well, the weight distribution in boats, how that sits. We don't see a huge amount of investment in it compared to the automotive industry. How front of mind is that for you? Because we're seeing so much conversation around the electrification of utes. It seems like the marine industry isn't far behind or shouldn't be far behind. Do you think it will be? Uh, look, it's, it's a great question. And I think it's it's probably knocking on our doorstep already. Uh, I know there's a lot of uh, companies up on the Yarra that have got the electric motors and, and they've got amazing amount of torque and, uh, I think it's not too far away. Before we let you go, Jake, where can we find you? Give us the address of the big orange building. Yeah, so 401 to 409, Port Arlington Road, Moolat. Um Open six days a week. Beautiful. Throw us your number. Give us a call. Uh, 5248 1752. Beautiful work. Jake Broadhead from Geelong Marine World, Signature Stacer, Atal Boats. Uh, just to name a few. Jake, thanks for your time on Real Adventures this morning. Not a problem at all. Thanks, guys.
That was gearing up for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Red's review for Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. It's now time for Red's review, our product review of the week. Boat catch, Aaron. Yeah, we actually haven't spoken about this for a couple of years, I don't think. And uh, the reason that I brought it up was because a couple, I won't lie to you, a couple of, I had a little sneaky fish during the week and a couple of mates were late. A couple of mates were late and I wanted to launch the boat. There was a line, I was in the line and I can't use my left arm at the moment at all. And I don't have a boat catch. So in the end, I actually had to pull to the side and wait. Now, yeah. they're, they're pricey. I'm just going to give you a straight up price. Depending on your boat, they can be between sort of $400 to $700. Depending on... Depending plus, on fit, plus fitting, Aaron. Oh, yeah, plus fitting. Yeah. If you're not hands-on yourself, it costs a fortune to get it on too. But where I think this comes into play is, back to what I was saying, if you are, well, just just an example, if, you, if you're a bit older and you're a bit more fragile and a bit worried about climbing into your boat uh, in slippery ramps, which they're slippery, if you don't want to climb up and down your trailer and do winches up and whatnot, this is where they pay for themselves. They, they really do, yeah. save your life. Like you're not going to fall over and break your leg or hip and, or something like that if you are older. If you are younger, not only that, they're just convenient. They just make things flow quicker. They make the traffic at the ramp flow quicker, and they just work. So there are a few brands out there. Boat Catch is the one that I've, I've always used. I, uh, I've actually got one that I've never put on the boat. But they are designed so as you back down the trailer, I like to do it just before you get in the water. So you actually back down just before the trailer gets into the water. You just flick a lever, and then you drive forward, release it, and then you just fall off your trailer. Now, once again, if you're coming on, you get your mate who's driving the trailer. It's literally flick that lever the other way, and as you drive on, it comes on, it catches your boat. You can then turn everything off, get out of your boat, drive up, say, two three metres, get away from that slippery water pat, and then do your winch up, and then off you go to to the cleaning bay. So it's it's well worth investing yourself into a boat catch if you do not have one. That's Red's review for Club Marine. That was Red's review for Club Marine. Insure your boat or jet ski with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Check the PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. We're on the home stretch now. It's time for Red's tip. Red backing the trailer and how deep to back your trailer when we're at the ramp. Where do you line it up? What are the secrets? Yeah, once again, I've just the reason this came to my head was, was just watching people at the Barwon Heads River uh, during the week. It's a, it's a prick of a ramp to launch out. You've got tide and wind that pulls across you, so it's not an easy ramp. Now, you don't want to go too deep, and you don't want to go too shallow. Now, the reason if you go – this is at any ramp, to be honest with you, but if you go too deep in the water, your boat will actually float, and when you drive out, if your boat's floating, it'll actually – potentially the chances of it landing in the exact spot that it's meant to is, is slim. It yep. might, might get lucky, but then you've got to pack it back in and move the, the back around. So it's it, you don't want to go too deep. If you go shallow, you're going to rip the gel coat off the front of your glass boat or you're going to hit hard and bang and bounce and it's just not going to work and drive up nicely. So as a rough guide that I like to recommend people, now this will vary depending on what ramp you're at, the, the depth of like the steepness of the ramp, et cetera. But I launched a lot of ramps right around the country and the average that I like to go at, for a um, tandem trailer, so for someone with, with, well, I run the Easy Tow trailer with uh, two two wheels either side, just to simplify it a bit easier. And at the front of the first wheel, there's like a little step pad. So I'm not talking about the back towards the transom of the boat. I'm talking about the actual front of the boat. So as that guard comes down, 
there's a little step at the front. And I like to cover the step at the front with yep. water. But just cover it enough so you basically uh, – that well, that's pretty much the guideline. So just cover the step, and that should be pretty much perfect for most trailers. Now, it's going to vary on where you are, but that there is the guide to start off. If you need to go deeper or shallower, make your judgment on the day. But you don't want your whole trailer submerged underwater because it's just not going to work and it's not going to fail. Beautiful work, Redmond. We hope you've enjoyed Real Adventures this morning. We'll see you on the water next week. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91